Acts chapter 21, verse 1, I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles there. If you do not have a Bible, a print Bible that you would like to have in your hands today, we've got some free Bibles available to you, to your right. You can get up right now and grab one if you want, no shame or embarrassment there. But we want you to be able to have scriptures, the Word of God. I was just talking with some men just this past week, and what we believe about the Bible is that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's awesome to consider, right? And so I, I want you to point your attention right now to Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16. This is what it says. And when he, when we, I'm sorry, that's Paul and his companions, the Apostle Paul. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we, were, uh, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in the sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, and we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to enlarge its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." When we heard this, we and the people ur there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This is the word of the Lord. We're getting in, into the final moment of these gospel goodbyes that we've been seeing over the last four weeks, the last several chapters of, of the book of Acts. And it's almost like it's been culminating this whole book to this moment of Paul's journey where he feels that, he, well, he believes and the Spirit has revealed to him that he must go to Jerusalem. He's been traveling for several years all over Asia Minor and, and, and Greece and, 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 uh, and Athens and Corinth and, and Philippi and Thessalonica. And he's not only going there to encourage the churches one more time, but he's also making a, collect, a collection for the saints 
in Jerusalem to bless them, to show the Jews, to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem that, hey, we are a part of one family. The Gentiles and Jews together are a part of one family through the name of Jesus. And so Paul has got like this, uh, this team with him representing each of these churches he's been traveling to. And they're all bringing gifts from these churches to bring to the, the people at Jerusalem. But this was a risky, risky journey. Now, I paused there as we were reading the, the story here this morning that everybody understood and Paul understood that this journey to Jerusalem was risky. Think about risk for a moment. In fact, in, in investments, we, we try to look at risk aversion. I'm not a financial guy. I don't know much about it. But this risk aversion as you invest, it's this tendency you want to avoid risk, Right? Am I going to put $1,000 out there? Am I going to lose half of it or more? Or was this a wise and safe investment? That's the idea here. Is this a safe investment? There's this whole psychology of risk, and, and psychologists love to learn how, what, what causes people to take risks or what causes some people to, uh, to, to uh, avert from risks or avoid risks. But what is risk? What is risk? It's exposure. It's to expose someone or something valued to danger, harm, or loss. Risk is to expose someone or something of value to danger, harm, or loss loss. Why is there risk? I'm going to quote several times today from a book uh, by John Piper, Pastor John Piper, uh, in his book called Don't Waste Your Life. Student, you should read this book. It's a fantastic book. Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. But he's talking about risk. He goes, why is there such a thing as risk? Why does risk exist? Because there's such a thing as ignorance. (laughs) You and I are ignorant about the future. We're not fortune tellers. If there were no ignorance, there would be no risk. Risk is possible because we don't know how things will turn out. Praise be to God, he is not a God of risk. He knows the future. But for us, we're ignorant, and God has chosen in his divine wisdom to allow us to remain in that state of ignorance about the future. Risk. So we have to make decisions every day. You made a decision if you got into an automobile today to come here today. You took that risk not knowing if you would get here safely. We have wet roads here today. Praise be to God, you are here today. I want to ask you, though, more than just getting in a car or getting in an airplane or making an investment, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? I think there's a few in the room that have willingly put uh, some sort of backpack on their back and willingly jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. And if you're in this room, I'm assuming the parachute actually worked, right? But you took a risk, right? You took a risk. But what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? Maybe it was a a big move. Maybe it was a, a, a risk in a relationship. Maybe it was a big financial investment. It was the change of a career or a job. Maybe it it was a risk taking that step of getting married, of getting engaged, right? I think it was more of a risk for my wife than it was for me in getting married, but some of us feel there's that risk, right? How about starting a family? Maybe it's taking a, a big trip to a place you've never been to before. Maybe it's a little bit more significant and maybe it's a little bit more uh, others focused. Maybe you've taken a big risk to care for someone in poverty, in need, knowing that you're not going to get any of that help back. Took that risk. Maybe you've taken the risk to care for an orphan 
or a widow. Maybe it feels risky to actually have the courage to, to speak up and share your faith in Jesus Christ with someone who just doesn't even want to hear it. Maybe the risk that you took was that when you were hated or persecuted by an enemy of yours, you returned love to them. That feels like a risk, right? What's the biggest risk you've ever taken before? And as we look at this passage, as Paul is going to Jerusalem, we've got to ask ourselves, what was Paul willing to risk on his journey? And what did his church family in Tyre and in Caesarea, what did they feel about this risk that he was about to take? Paul, we know this about Paul, as we just saw in our text this morning, Paul, though he's feeling the heartbreak from the agony of those around him, he knew something about the path he was taking. He was focused. He was undeterred. He was resolved. And by his own words, he says, I'm ready to take this risk. I'm ready. I'm ready. We see it several times here, and if you've got your Bibles open, you could see in, in verse 4 of chapter 21 in Acts. As they're in Tyre, uh, they're, there they are, the church family's there together, and it says this, that through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's a really interesting statement. What in the world is going on here, right? Through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But a little bit later, it might provide a little bit of clarity. In verses 10 and 11, it says, while they were in Caesarea, Agabus, the prophet, he comes down and he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, the one who gets their arms and legs tied up like this is going to be bound in Jerusalem. The one who owns this belt, he took Paul's belt. They're, they see it. Somehow the, prof, the, the Spirit is giving knowledge and revelation to the, the church that Paul's part of in Tyre and in Caesarea and to this prophet Agabus. They're getting revelation that Paul is about to go through something really, really tough and really, really hard. And they didn't even know if it might end in death. They didn't know what was going to happen. And verse 12 says, we and the people, Luke is writing, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So what's happening here? Is the Holy Spirit telling these people one thing, and yet the Holy Spirit is telling Paul another thing? Because we know in verse uh, 22 of chapter 20, you flip back a page, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He says, now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. I am constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I want to ask you a question. Here's Paul's testimony. Here's the testimony of these other believers. Does the Holy Spirit contradict himself? No, he doesn't. Here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit revealed to Paul and the church that Paul would be imprisoned and inflicted in Jerusalem. But Paul was still commanded. Paul was still constrained. Paul was still called to go to Jerusalem. Friends, sometimes we assume that, that the open door that the Holy Spirit is leading us through is the, the, the open door of ease and comfort and a clear path. But what's happening here is that, that, that the Holy Spirit is revealing to the whole church, hey, this is a tough path that God, Paul is going on, and they assumed, then that means they were interpreting what they were getting from the Spirit. You can't go there, Paul. And Paul says, you don't understand. I see the same path you see, but I am constrained. I am focused I am called to take that path. There was no disagreement, but yet there was a different resolve. The church, those that loved Paul so dearly, they saw the risk, but Paul saw something different. He saw the call. 
And what we're going to see here this morning is that Paul saw the reward. Paul had a unique call in this situation. He had an understanding that all Christians, not just Paul, can have in the face of risk as we follow Jesus. You know, Jesus himself even experienced this multiple times in the gospel. Jesus' disciples, they couldn't understand why he was traveling to Jerusalem from Galilee. Since there were so many who hated him and wanted to kill him, Jesus was going right into the eye of this massive storm that was forming around him. He went right in there. And in Mark 10, 32, it says, this, Jesus and his disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem from Jericho, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And now listen to those that were around Jesus. They had the same reaction. They were amazed. Those who followed him, they, they were afraid. They're like, what is Jesus doing? He, this is the, a ridiculous risk. He's going up there. But Jesus saw it, and he heard it, and he took the 12, those closest to him, and he began to tell them what was about to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flogging him and kill him. And after three days, he will arise. Risk, risk. Jesus saw the risk. His followers saw the risk. But Jesus took the path. Paul saw the risk. The church in Tyre and the church in Caesarea, they saw the risk. But Paul was still following the path. Sometimes as disciples, we don't understand what Jesus is doing. We don't understand where he's taking us, where he's leading. Sometimes we stand amazed and sometimes we feel afraid. But yet, like Jesus, like Paul, we're called to have some focus and have some resolve to wade into the risk. Wade into the risk. There's no greater risk than, than to step in to follow Jesus. Yet the resolve that we can have is that we can trust in God that we will receive an infinite reward. If I was here to tell you today, hey, come follow Jesus, there's no risk, I would be lying to you. But praise be to God. We don't have to think about Christian risk aversion What's the safest and most comfortable way to land in my destination? We could say, just like Jesus, just like Paul, I can follow him wherever he's leading, knowing that the reward will far outweigh the risk. That's what Paul understood. That's what the believers in Tyre and Caesarea, that's what they needed to learn and to understand. That's what believers in 2024 here in Fairfax in the United States of America, we need to understand. And all over the world, what we need to understand is that following Jesus is risky, but the reward is greater. And that's our big idea this morning. All that to say this, here's our big idea. Christians know that the reward of following Jesus outweighs the risk of following Jesus. Christians followers of Jesus Christ, those who have given their devotion to him, they know this, that sometimes the Holy Spirit, Jesus through the Holy Spirit, just like Paul, will lead us into paths of risk. But, but the reward of following Jesus far outweighs the risk of following Jesus. John Piper says this about risk. Again, in this book, Don't Waste Your Life, Student, Get It, Buy It, Read It, Okay. One of my aims, Piper writes, is to explode the myth of safety and somehow deliver you, reader, from the enchantment of security. Oh, I love that kind of language, that wording. It's so vivid. The enchantment, it's like a mirage of safety and security. In fact, that's what he says. It's a mirage. 
that, that enchantment of safety, it doesn't exist. Every direction you turn, there are unknowns and there are things beyond your control. But here's the tragic hypocrisy, is that the enchantment of security lets us take risks every day for ourselves, whether it's an investment, getting in the car, taking that trip, whatever it may be, but it paralyzes us from taking risks for others on the Calvary road of love. Friends, safety is an enchantment. Safety is a mirage. We are called to take risks for the name of Jesus. And what I want us to focus on is this one statement by Paul here this morning. One statement, and, and we want to ask, why did Paul believe this so strongly? Acts chapter 21, verse 13. Let's look at it again. It says, Paul answered those that were telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. The, the word there, I saw one commentator, he, he says this, it, the word, the Greek word there could be used of, of like hanging clothes out to dry. And, and what do you do? You, you beat it, right? To dry it. Or if you're getting dust off a rug or a carpet, you beat it out, right? Paul is saying, it's like you're beating my heart. You're pounding on my heart with these calls to not go. You're, you're breaking my heart and, and, and weeping. I mean, there's tears all over these last several chapters as those that Paul loves are saying goodbye to him. But here's what he says. This is the statement. I am ready. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What a tearful goodbye. I only know what this like just a little bit. I remember there'd be times when my kids were little. Now they're like, all right, see you, dad. Have a good time, right? But, but I remember when they were little because they, didn't, they hadn't had that experience of me leaving and coming home. Now my kids have learned. It's not because they love me less. They've just learned. You know, there's experience. At least I think they do. But anyway, uh, I know they do. But there's that time where I, I would go on a trip or, or even when I'd go to work after a vacation that we'd been spending so much time together. Dad, don't go. Dad, why do you got to leave? Dad, why can't you stay? And I want to say, like, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I got to go to work so that you got Cheerios to eat, right? Right? I got to go on this trip because this is important. It's a significant trip, right? Maybe you felt that saying goodbye to a loved one. I'll tell you those that probably know this deeper than I do for sure are those that, that serve in the military, right? Those that are put on assignment and, and, and sent far away all over the world. They said goodbye to those loved ones. You've seen it on social media. You've seen it on YouTube and whatnot, right? When there's those, those reunions, then when they come back together, maybe it's a little brother who said goodbye to a big brother or, or a, a little girl that said goodbye to a dad or, or maybe it's a, uh, you know, a, a, a nephew that said goodbye to an aunt or a big sister or a mom that they love so much and they've been, they said goodbye and it was so tearful. They've been waiting and you love, you see the emotion when they embrace once again. But I can't imagine what it's like on the other side. Nobody likes to video that. We love to video the reunions. We don't love to, to video and record and document the goodbyes because they just hurt so much. That's what Paul's going through. That's what he's feeling. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? But he says, I'm not staying. I'm going. Why? Because I'm ready. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Friend, this is not just the call of Paul. This is the call of every follower of Jesus. Can we be ready? Can we know that the reward of following Jesus outweighs the risk of following Jesus? And so I want to ask you this question. Let's ask this of Paul. Paul, 
And we're going to see some of his own language here. We just want to ask this morning, real quickly, why in the world would you or any Christian risk it all for Jesus? Paul, we see the resolve. It's very admirable. It's very courageous. But it feels a little insane. It feels a little crazy. Why in the world are you willing, Paul, to risk it all? Why? I mean, as I'm reading this, I'm like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? We're going to look at five things that a Christian knows that can lead them to have courage to say, I'm willing to risk it all because I know the reward is greater. Five things. A Christian knows that, first of all, suffering today cannot be compared with the glory of tomorrow. A Christian knows that suffering today cannot be compared with the glory of tomorrow. That's what we're risking. If I follow Jesus and what he's calling me to, I may be risking suffering. I may actually have to go through something really hard today. But the reason I do that, according to Paul, is because I know that the reward on the other side is greater of the suffering. Romans 8.18, this is what Paul writes in the middle of this amazing chapter about all that the Christians are going through, peril, sword, danger, all these terrible things. But this is what he says in Romans 8.18, this is why I feel ready to go through the risk. For I consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us and to us. He says, I'm willing to go through this now because I know on the other side, there's glory. There's glory. I may be bound in chains. I may be thrown in prison. We know he's going to be in prison for years, for years after this. We know that eventually he is martyred for the sake of Jesus. But he says, it pains me to think about all of it. It makes me weep to see you hurting over this, friends and church in, in the book of Acts. But I'm telling you that there's something on the other side of the suffering that is greater than the suffering here. The reward is greater than the risk. The reward is greater than the risk. Somebody today, a team today, at the end of the Super Bowl is going to raise the Vince Lombardi trophy. And now I, I am not, uh, I used to play football. I remember high school football. I remember those hot days in August. Uh, in Northern California where we get triple digits and I would be uh, practicing football during what we would call hell week, right? Double day practices and you're sweating and you're grinding and you got bruises and you got joints out of place and you're just, you're exhausted. You're like, why are we doing this? And I didn't understand why we were doing it. But after that first game to have victory and to look my teammates in the eyes and say, this is why. This feeling of victory, friends, even more so, Paul is saying, We go through sufferings in this life. In fact, that's what we're called to. We're called to risk it all because on the other side, there's something way better than a Vince Lombardi trophy. There's glory, the glory of our God and creator in heaven, the glory of our our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, given to us, friends. The first thing that a Christian knows that causes them to risk it all for the sake of Jesus is that suffering today cannot be compared with the glory of tomorrow. Number two, The bigger risk is to not put it all on the line for Jesus. So you may be saying, I don't know, it's risky to put it all on the line for Jesus, but now we're going to go to Jesus' own words himself. And he says this, oh, you think it's risky to put it all on the line? What I'm telling you is the greater risk is to not put it all on the line. Luke 9, 23 to 25, Jesus says to the crowds and his disciples, he says, if anyone would come after me, Let him take an easy risk-averting road. That's not what he says. 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life, think risk aversion, whoever would save his life, what happens in the end? They'll lose it. They'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus is making it real clear here. He's trying to help us see you, you live in this broken world of sin and temptation and you're deceived by the enemy himself that teaches us to say, be comfortable, stay safe, don't take any risks. Everything that you see and can touch and have here and now, that's a materialistic way to think of this world. This is all you got, so do everything you can to guard it and protect it and safeguard it. And Jesus says, if you live like, life like that, in the end, you're gonna lose it all and you're gonna lose the most important thing about you, your very soul. But Jesus says, if you can learn how to say, for the sake of Jesus, I'm willing to let it go. It hurts. It's going to make me uncomfortable. It may lead me to suffering. It may lead me to taking up his cross and following him. But I know that in letting go, I'm trusting Jesus and saying, this is the path to true reward. If I hang on to it, that is actually too risky, Jesus says. Let go of it, Jesus says. Let go of it. Paul is saying, let it go, let it go. That's the greater risk, is to hang on to my life and have me call the shots rather than saying, all right, Lord Jesus, I give it up for you. Christians can live a life knowing that the reward of following Jesus outweighs the risk of following Jesus because the bigger risk is to not put it all on the line for Jesus. Thirdly, thirdly, it says this, Christians know that nothing can separate them from the love of God. Nothing can separate them from the love of God. Again, Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, verses 38 to 39, he says, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able. It's not able. It's not powerful enough. Nothing in this world is powerful enough to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying this as he sees the, the prophet Agabus demonstrating to everybody, this is what's going to happen to the one who owns this belt. He's going to be tied up and imprisoned. And, and I could just hear Paul in the back of his mind. And eventually he writes it in Romans chapter 8. He says, don't you understand? They could bind me up, but they can't bind me away from the love of Jesus. They could put me in prison, but prison can't take me away from the love of Jesus. Uh, they, they could take away my home, but nothing could take away the home that I have because of the love of Jesus. They could take away my family and friends, but nothing could take me and separate me away from the love of Jesus through, through his community and the kingdom that I'm going to be a part of. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I love the song, the old soul song, soul song. ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, right? Friends, there's nothing in this world that can threaten the love of Jesus Christ for you, for you. Whatever you go through, whatever suffering you may experience, whatever griefs and sorrows in this life, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, Christians, we know that we could take any risk that Jesus calls us to because the reward of his love is far greater and far stronger in our lives. Fourthly, 
A Christian knows that. Death is a direct path to the presence of Jesus. Death is a direct path to the presence of Jesus. That's some good news, friends. And I know that it's getting late here in the service. We're going to end here in a few minutes, and I'm sure there's some great food that's smelling out there in the lobby, right? I can't wait to eat it. But let me say it again. Death is a direct path to the presence of Jesus. What's the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy that any of us could ever face? Well, it's death, right? And not just death, but how am I going to die? But oh, friends, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that death isn't just a pathway. It's actually our victory. Through our death, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are conquerors because guess what? We follow him who conquered death. He rose from the dead. He said, death can't hold me down. And if you follow me and if you join yourself to me, you may go through that tomb just like me, but guess what? I've punched a hole through the other side. I've punched a hole through the other side. He says this, Paul writes this in Philippians 1, 21 to 23. He says this, for to me to live is Christ and to die is a big risk. No, to die is gain. It's reward. Even if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He's actually saying, whether I live or die, they're both good options. That's amazing, right? I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. And he's talking about dying for the name of Jesus and be with Christ, for that is far better. Friends, death is an instantaneous and direct pathway to the presence of Jesus. No matter what risk our God, our Savior Jesus is calling us to, just like the Apostle Paul. Paul, even if you're going to die here, have this hope. Even if you die in that prison, it's a direct path to my presence. You'll be right next to me in my glory. Friends, this gives us hope. This gives us hope to face anything. Think about the, the biggest, baddest enemy that you could face in a back way alley, a dark alley. I was just talking about the city uh, yesterday with a friend. We were talking about the city where I grew up or where I lived most recently uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. There's some dangerous people, right? Uh, God loves them. They're made in God's image and Jesus died for their sins. But you know what? If they don't repent, like man, they could be a pretty dangerous person, right? Think about the most dangerous enemy that you could envision, the most dangerous enemy you could envision. And put the name death right across it. Jesus says, I conquered it for you. I've conquered it for you. If that, if, that, if that big bad enemy slays you right now, it's just a path to my presence. A path to my presence. Praise be to God for good news. Why would a Christian ever risk it all for Jesus? Fifthly, they would do this because knowing Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. I mean... It, You've got the first four, which are awesome, but this one is, it eclipses them all. Knowing Jesus, not just receiving his benefits, but knowing Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. Paul writes this in Philippians 3, 7 to 8. He's talking about his past, his heritage, the things that he held dear, the things that he built his life on. What does he say about all those things? Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss. For the sake of Christ, I'll risk it all. Chips down, I put it all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'll risk it all for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything, anything this world has to offer as loss. Why? Why would you risk it all, Paul? Here's why. Because of the surpassing worth, the reward of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's why. He's worth it all. And it says that he says this, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I've risked it all and I have lost so much in this life. So much. I've lost relationships. I've lost wealth. I've lost my health. Man, I got stoned one time, left for dead. Man, we know that he had a thorn in the flesh, which could have been a physical ailment. He was walking around and he was grieving all the time. He goes, you don't know how much loss I've experienced. I risked it all and it's all painful, but it does not compare with the reward of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, he says, all those things, even though it pains me to lose them, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, we're not going to risk anything. Paul wasn't going to risk anything there in Caesarea. He would have been swayed by those whom he loved so much and those that loved him so much that said, Paul, don't go. He says, you're weeping and breaking my heart. You don't understand this. The reward of knowing Jesus It's greater than anything this world has to offer. I wish that was more true of me. That I had every moment, every second of my day living under this truth that knowing Jesus is better than anything. I love Psalm 34. It's an invitation. It says this, come taste and see that the Lord is good. You may be sitting in doubts here today and be like, well, I don't know. I mean, Jesus, he was a great teacher, a great guy. I mean, I even believe he's the son of God, but there's a lot of pleasures in this world. Here's what I want to do. Scientific method, put it to the test. Why don't you come taste and see that the Lord is good? And I believe by faith that when you taste this Jesus, when you savor this Lord, when you bow to this God of creation, when you embrace him by faith, you'll find that there isn't anything. There's no lover. There's no uh, appetite. There's no food. There's no drink. There's no experience. There's no vacation. There's no bank account. There's no relationship. There's nothing in all this world that compares with knowing Jesus. The invitation of Jesus, the invitation of Paul is that I've tasted and I've seen no one compares with him. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that he's good? Again, our big idea this morning is this. Christians know that the reward of following Jesus outweighs the risk of following Jesus Piper continues to write this, and we'll get ready to close. The the strength to risk to losing face for the sake of Christ is the faith that God's love will lift up your face in the end and vindicate your cause. The strength to risk losing money for the cause of the gospel is the faith that we have in a treasure in the heavens that cannot fail. The strength to risk losing life in this world is the faith in the promise that he who loses his life in this world will save it in the age to come. On the far side of every risk, even if it results in death, the love of God triumphs. This is the faith that frees us to risk for the cause of God. It's it's not heroism or the lust for adventure or courageous self-reliance or efforts to earn God's favor. It's just this simple childlike faith. 
Oh, I've tasted and seen in the triumph of God's love that on the other side of all our risks, for the sake of righteousness, God will still be holding us. We will be eternally satisfied in him and nothing will have been wasted. And so that's the irony. Our big idea this morning is that Christians know that the reward of following Jesus outweighs the risk of following Jesus. But when we see and if you've tasted and you know that Jesus is really worth it, you realize everything that I give up is really no risk at all because he's that beautiful. He's that wonderful. Well, it's Black History Month. And uh, I found this, just this amazing message, this amazing speech by Martin Luther King Jr. He delivered this message uh, at Illinois Wesleyan University on February 10th, 1966. And he was speaking about the necessity of the cause of racial justice in America. He was talking and speaking so heroically. You can actually hear the recording. I, I listened to a big portion of it this week. It's amazing. He was talking about the resolve and commitment to nonviolence as the path toward change, even if the opposition became violent. And this is what he says as he's getting ready to close his speech. He says this, and I still believe that nonviolence is the most potent weapon available to oppressed people in their struggle for freedom and human dignity. This method has a way of disarming the opponent. It exposes his moral defenses. It weakens his morale and at the same time works on his conscience and he just doesn't know how to handle it. If he doesn't beat you, wonderful. But if he beats you, you develop the quiet courage of accepting blows without retaliating. If he doesn't put you in jail, wonderful. Nobody with any sense loves to go to jail. But listen to this. But if he puts you in jail, you go into that jail and transform it from a dungeon of shame to a haven of freedom and human dignity. Even if he tries to kill you, you develop the inner conviction that there are some things so dear, some things so eternally true, some things so precious that they are worth dying for. And if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, in a sense, he's not fit to live. If you don't have something worth dying for, what are you living for? What are you living for? And that's what Paul is saying. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And that's what Christians are called to be. That's what Fairfax Bible Church is called to be. A people that are convinced at no and know that the reward of following Jesus far outweighs any risk of following Jesus. Worship team, come up because we got to close. Just as we reflect, bow your heads and close your eyes. We want to ask this question. What does this mean for my Monday? What does this mean for me? I want to ask you, have you discovered something so eternally true? so precious that it's worth dying for. How you answer that question may be the most important question that you could ever answer. If Jesus isn't who he says he is, then why take a risk for anything but your comfort? But Christians, we know better. We know better that the reward of following Jesus far outweighs any risk of following Jesus. So I just wanna ask you as you reflect before we sing this song, this beautiful, beautiful song, Knowing you, Jesus, there is no greater thing. What's been holding you back from following Jesus? What's been holding you back that you feel like, you know what, I, 
I may be asked to do that, but the risk just seems too big. It just seems too costly. Oh, I want to invite you today. Would you taste and see that the Lord is good? Maybe you've been feeling this inclination that, you know what, the Lord's been asking me to to give of my time to serving Jesus. Maybe the Lord's been asking me to to make a a, a bigger investment in in financially supporting the mission of Jesus in this world, not just Fairfax Bible Church, but Sanctity of Life Ministry and, and ministries all over this globe. Lord has put money into my hands. I feel the risk of losing it, but if I could give it for his sake, there's a greater reward. Maybe it's you're getting ready to to send your kids off to college like mine. I have a senior in high school right now. And I think to myself, I I want my kid to land in a a good place, a place where he's going to be safe, in a place where he can find a good job and, and start a good career. But what if my kid came to me and said, Dad, I feel like the Lord is sending me across the world to make the name of Jesus famous. Oh, would any of us bucket that? Would we challenge that and say, oh, but son, daughter, that, that's too risky. That's too risky. Oh, I think that if we, if we truly know Jesus, we can parent in such a way and say, you know what? It sounds painful, and I may weep a little bit. It may be risky. You may be going to a dangerous place on this planet, but you know what? If you're following Jesus, I know that the reward is greater. The reward is greater. Before we sing the song, just give us 30 seconds, Pastor Hank. What have you been holding on to that Jesus is asking you to give up here today? And will you say, in faith, I will taste and see that, Lord Jesus, you're better than anything this world has to offer. And then we're going to sing it by faith here in just a few moments. Take some time right now. Reflect before the Lord.